Welcome to Afrotecture, a weekly podcast by students at the University of California, Los Angeles, that looks at buildings and cities created throughout Africa and thinks about the past, present, and future of the built environment on the continent. Today's episode looks at the Apartheid Museum in Johannesburg, South Africa. It was created by Annie Titan, Miranda Claxton, Madison Collins, and Michelle Kong. I'll leave it to Annie and Miranda to take it away from here. Hi everyone, my name is Annie Titan. And I'm Miranda Claxton. And we're excited to welcome you to our podcast on the Apartheid Museum in Johannesburg, South Africa. We're both students at UCLA, the University of California, Los Angeles, and are taking a class taught by Professor Lauren Taylor based on the study of architecture and urbanism in Africa. In this podcast, we'll be discussing the Apartheid Museum in order to examine how certain exhibitionary practices used by the museum inform both visitor experience and the collective memory of apartheid. We feel it's really important to tell you that we haven't yet gotten the opportunity to visit South Africa or the Apartheid Museum. So, our discussion today will be rooted in the work of various scholars who have spent lots of time there and done extensive research. In this podcast, we will explore what apartheid means in the context of South Africa, as well as the socio-political connotations of apartheid and contemporary treatments of apartheid. In this podcast, we will explore what apartheid means in the context of South Africa, as well as the socio-political connotations of apartheid and contemporary treatments of apartheid. Then we will think about the physical structure of the museum and its choices in display making, which can project a certain point of view to the visitor. Finally, we will consider the broader implications of such a museum's existence in the context of a global trend in exhibiting tragedy. We'll be asking some questions and debating the ethics of the apartheid museum's decisions and are hoping to start a conversation. We would love to hear your thoughts, listeners, on what you think of the museum after hearing this podcast. So first, let's talk about what apartheid means and how we can see it come into effect in South Africa. According to scholar David Chidester, apartheid was established in South Africa to exclude the majority of the population, denying them basic citizenship and exploiting them as labor for the economy. And the apartheid museum itself does their part to define the word. They put up a plaque on the exterior of the museum with the following definition. Apartheid the system of segregation or discrimination on grounds of race in force in South Africa from 1948 to 91. As for historical context, apartheid was formally adopted as an official policy when the National Party was elected to power in 1948. But prior to this, apartheid was socially enforced by the white minority living in South Africa. It wasn't until about 1987 that the National Party began to negotiate with the leading anti-apartheid political force in the nation, the African National Congress, towards the ending of racial segregation. Apartheid was repealed on June 17, 1991, though it was pending the multiracial elections held in 1994 and was finally made official on April 27 of that year. Apartheid meant the segregation of races, with separate public facilities, events, and even jobs dictated by and restricted to certain races. While apartheid was most infamously an event that polarized white and black South Africans, other races living in the country also fell into an established hierarchical order, with the white minority at the top. Now secondly, we'll move on to discussing the actual architecture and displays of the apartheid museum. The original sketch for the museum was designed by Chris Kroos, 
director at GAPP, Architects and Urban Designers. According to Joseph O'Reilly, the founding director of the International Human Rights Museum Initiative, the intention of the museum was to highlight the atrocities of apartheid, the bravery of people's resistance, and the ongoing struggle for justice. The Apartheid Museum opened in 2001 and was commissioned by the Croke family, who envisioned a complex that would be reflective of South Africa's diversity and would be an example to the new society that was established after the end of apartheid. Although this was not always the museum's mission, which we'll explain more about later. Imagine you're at the Apartheid Museum. I'll try to walk you through it and describe the experience. Okay. As you approach the museum grounds, you travel through an area known as the Red Location. This is a part of Johannesburg that is an industrial and impoverished area with factories and shanty houses along railroad tracks. You soon see the museum complex and discover that it is adjacent to a theme park and a casino. The museum is set back from the street on sprawling grounds with well-manicured gardens. The museum itself is a nondescript structure which houses the exhibitions. It is austere, unadorned, and constructed largely of brick, concrete, and corrugated iron. At the entrance, you buy your tickets and then enter the Hall of Segregation. One door is marked for whites and the other for non-whites. You are given a card and must pass through one of these doors in order to enter the building. Inside, the displays consist mostly of photographs and physical artifacts from South Africa's apartheid period, as well as several permanent and temporary exhibitions of works created by artists to speak on the themes of apartheid, social justice, and oppression. You're invited to enter prison cells that have been recreated in order to get a sense of what it might have been like to sit in solitary confinement. Scholars Chana Tiga and Vered Vinitsky Sarusi argue that these experiential moments conflate the past and present, yet ultimately isolate the experience from apartheid, distancing them further from the difficult past. As you travel through the museum, initially the interior is very dark. You are guided through several rooms and experiences that simulate conditions non-white people under apartheid would have experienced. But as you progress, the architecture becomes lighter and more airy through the museum and allows more exterior sunlight to enter creating a journey of darkness to light that simulates South Africa's own journey out of apartheid. And what about the fact that the museum itself doesn't look very grand? Oftentimes in the United States and Europe, we see a tradition of museums as these enormous opulent buildings with almost regal exteriors, such as the British Museum or the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. Why is the apartheid museum different? The setting is important too because the museum is meant to be embedded in the realism and authenticity of the experience. The materials used in the museum mimic the same materials used in the houses of the most impoverished areas that non-white South Africans lived in during apartheid. These materials were inexpensive and easy to construct without needing complex processes or machinery. Is it because instead of creating a beautiful museum to house things like artwork that we tend to think of as the peak of societal achievement, what the Apartheid Museum is doing is creating a building that also reflects what it has inside. The solemn exterior is meant to prepare visitors for the serious exhibitions they'll encounter inside the space. Not only does the somberness of the architecture reflect the mood concerning what the museum actually houses, but it is also meant to resemble the architecture that many non-white people under apartheid would have had for their homes or in the factories where they worked. 
So it's even more immersive in the sense that it's having the viewer experience as much as possible what it might have been like to be living as the oppressed majority of South Africa's population under apartheid. Right. The architects attempted to allow the architecture to be the vehicle which facilitates this process. The museum seems to exist separately from the rest of the street and is not related to its environment. Scholar Trana Teeger argues that the building does not make any attempt to converse with the present day, which begins with the location of the isolated building and is further seen in the curator's intention to discourage a reopening of wounds and trauma. I think it's so interesting that a museum that centers around the display of tragedy is set so closely to both an amusement park and a casino. I wonder if the solemnness of the museum's architecture and goals are challenged by the presence of a theme park and casino so nearby as part of the same complex. This is one of the ways in which the museum fails to acknowledge ongoing inequalities in South Africa. Racial segregation is no longer formally enforced, but patterns of movement throughout the city and housing situations left over from apartheid clearly show lasting effects of the period lingering into the present day. The fact that the museum's founders thought it was proper to not only create a museum that proclaims the end of apartheid and a healed society is a difficult topic to breach. Seeing as though a museum dedicated to tragedy was placed beside a casino and theme park further shows that an insensitivity towards issues of apartheid are still very much alive today. It's also interesting to think about how the construction of the museum influences shifts in the surrounding built environment of the museum. Prior to the construction of the museum complex, tourists would not have visited the red location where the museum is. In fact, non-white people who lived in these areas would not have been allowed to attend museums during apartheid. What we see after the construction of the museum complex, with the addition of the casino and theme park, is something called the Bilbao Effect. This is in reference to the Guggenheim Museum in Bilbao, Spain, where the construction of a museum meant for interest on the global scale was built, revitalizing the area and transforming perceptions of it. It's the presence of these museums that draws in tourism and widespread recognition and encourages an area to transform itself to accommodate the influx of foreign visitors. It's a situation where a museum acts as something to help put a location on the map. The addition of these museums may cause people to reassess their perception of an area as desirable, whereas it may have seemed unsafe or undesirable prior to the museum's construction. Lastly, we will discuss some more controversial elements of the museum. Although this memorial museum is now making more strides towards social justice through their exhibitions, I think its origin, how it came to be a museum, is important to discuss. As we mentioned earlier, this museum was built next to a theme park called the Gold Reef City Amusement Park. And to make a long story short, this amusement park wanted to add a casino to the grounds and were told that in exchange for a building permit, they had to create a social project for the area. I think it's also important to note that the original owners of the museum's lands, the Croke family, made their wealth through their skin lightening cream. We want to mention this fact because the Gold Reef City Amusement Park comes from these racist origins, and therefore the museum does as well. This makes us ask the question, are these lands and people suitable to creating a museum dedicated to social justice? When the Apartheid Museum was decided on as the park social project, a team went to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. and was inspired by its tactics, especially the idea of imitating the experience of the Holocaust for visitors through lighting and music. The Holocaust Museum is probably where the Apartheid Museum got the idea of distributing roles to its visitors, either white or non-white, to go through the exhibits and experience what it was like during apartheid. But of course, this is impossible, and as been stated by critics, this museum was made for people who did not live through apartheid. 
We think it's fair to say that the museum can make more of a concerted effort to communicate the horrors and long-lasting impacts of apartheid. Exactly. It's also safe to say that the museum's idea of leading the visitor out of the darkly lit exhibits to a sunny outside sends a message that South Africa is now full of light and has moved on from their racist past, and this is simply untrue. However, if we can put aside motives for a moment, I think we can find something interesting in briefly analyzing the architecture of the Holocaust Museum. It was built in 1933, and like the Apartheid Museum, also attempts to create a housing for a particular history. Its architecture is mainly industrial in style, with brick and iron construction to evoke the conditions of the Holocaust itself. And that industrial common architecture is definitely one of the places where we see the Apartheid Museum taking cues from the Holocaust Museum. Both attempt to use materials to evoke a sympathetic point of view from visitors, and also make an effort to anchor the experience of a specific time period. Well, most of our research surrounds the origins of the museum, but maybe one day we can visit it for ourselves and report back on its contemporary practices in another podcast. As mentioned earlier, Tigre and Vinitsky Sarusi argue that the museum hides and contains the past. We wonder, what effects does this have on visitors? What negative impacts does it have? By not engaging with the present, is the museum doing itself harm? We'd like to encourage these questions and further interrogate these practices at the Apartheid Museum and across the globe. We'd like to thank you all for listening to our conversation. We hope that this podcast has sparked your interest in museum making, its politics, and architecture. And hopefully you'll hear our updates on our visit to South Africa someday. Today's episode was created in the fall of 2019 by Annie Titan, Miranda Claxton, Madison Collins, and Michelle Kong. Our theme song is by Rebecca Taylor. Special thanks to Tom Garbalotti and Andrew Jessup at UCLA Humanities Technology, or HumTech. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts, you can find us on Instagram or Twitter at AfriTexturePod. That's A-F-R-I-T-E-C-H-T-U-R-E-P-O-D with no spaces. I'm Lauren Taylor. We'll see you next week.